To all, thank you for tuning in to the first episode of Fresh Takes, a new podcast by Nick Bullington and Todd Oakland, where we'll discuss sports, possibly politics, and, and possibly mustard. Anyways, this is the first episode. I know there will be pluses and minuses and things that we can improve. Thank you for listening, and please give us any pr- feedback that you can. With no further ado, here's myself and Todd Oakland. Thank you. This is great that we're really early adopters to this whole new podcast medium. Uh, exactly, exactly right. Exactly. Uh, I mean, it's really nice to be on the cutting edge of something that's really relevant <laughs> in terms of communication. Uh, and you know, it's really nice to get into the marketplace before things are too crowded. I mean, how many other you know thirty-something jackasses are going to talk about sports? On a podcast, I I don't know. I think there's a market for this. So, what do you want the skill? Sports, not. Sports. I don't care, man. Um, I like I told you yesterday via text. I'll talk about the best tomatoes to uh, make BLTs because I've got some opinions on that. Um, I've got my favorite heirloom tomatoes, uh, Lemon Boy and Kellogg's Breakfast. I think are pretty good ones. Um, talk about talk about where uh, where manhole covers are made because I think that's an important topic that no one's really discussing right now. So, so you have an opinion on tomatoes. I got a question for you. Of course. Do you have an opinion on ketchup? Uh, so, yeah, I, I do. I like ketchup. I feel like there's a market out there for, like, boutique ketchup. And this kind of goes into my early adopter thing. I, I think we could be early adopters in the boutique ketchup world because I feel like Heinz has a stranglehold on this whole thing. And... I don't know if anyone's really explored ketchup. Okay, so here's my opinion on ketchup. All right. They all taste the same. Well, that so that's 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 where I'm going with this. Why 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 do we stop with what Heinz is Heinz has given us and why don't we take it to the next level? And I don't know. I mean I, I don't know what that looks like exactly, but look, I mean, ten years ago when we were in college, I mean you couldn't you couldn't find like different kinds of mayonnaise, right? Sure. I mean, we couldn't afford it anyways, but, I mean, it doesn't matter. I mean, now you can't throw a rock without hitting, like, you know, some specialty mayonnaise or some, like, garlic mayonnaise or whatever, right? Or mustard? Oh, Jesus Christ. Don't even get me started on mustard. Oh, I want to – oh, I got got a mustard story. (laughs) A mustard take? I've got a hot mustard take here, guys. (laughs) All right, so hot mustard take. I had a a buddy that that lived uh, in Utah when I lived in Utah, but he's from Boston. He went to school in Wisconsin. And he met his, uh, his now wife there. And unlike you, I, I actually went to this wedding. Um, <laughs> Did I go to your wedding? No, no. no. Oh, I think I had a white size game that weekend. But yeah, continue. <laughs> I was just too cheap. I don't have a white size excuse. <laughs> Fair enough. I mean, it was across the country. It was far away. So, oh. But anyways, so one of his groomsmen is a, is a mustard magnet. Like... His uh his dad owns one of like the two or three biggest mustard seed processing plants in North America, and apparently like he can tell no matter what uh like if it's in a souffle or no matter what it's in he can tell what seed it is and if it was manufactured or if it was uh, processed in his plant or not. Which my God, I know it 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 almost doesn't. Here's the best part: his wife doesn't like mustard. Um, that's, that's an awkward Thanksgiving dinner. You're all, you're all sitting around the table and I'm sure you're having, you know, turkey with some extra mustard on it. And, uh, yeah, they probably have like prototype mustard that they've got. 
they're probably like trying to cater to like a very particular mustard taste, but she just won't, she just won't do it. Um, that's not like, uh, I don't know. That's not like a bears and a Packers fan marrying, but it's close. Um, I don't know. I don't know how to get through that one. Uh, well, it's like, well, you know, my, my family, <laughs> everything good my family's ever done is, has been found out on the sea that you hate so much. <laughs> uh, all right. I, I, don't, I don't know what to do about that. Anyways. So I'm going to take this a completely different direction. The 2016 Cubs. <laughs> oh, man. How do you feel? Uh, so I have many thoughts on the 2016 Cubs. Um, the other day I was actually thinking about this. When, when have the Cubs ha- had the best team in baseball – and the best player in baseball. And I'm, I'm saying Chris Bryant's the best player in baseball, and you can argue that. But, I mean, it's it's close if, if, if he's not. So, okay, right. if he's not, what, Manny Machado? Um, Mike Trout, probably. Matt, right? Yeah, Mike Trout. There, uh, there's a few guys, but I'll, I'll grant it to you. Yeah, yeah, Unfortunately, yeah. Unfortunately, I have an answer. All right. 2003. <sighs> Was Mark Pryor the best player in baseball that year? You could argue that the Cubs weren't the best team in baseball in 2003, and I would accept that argument. The Yankees were probably the best team in baseball. I don't think they. Well, see, I don't think they were. I mean, I think uh, this is this is the weird thing with baseball, right? Like they were probably the best team in that playoffs, but I mean, they probably weren't the best team overall. You're probably right. They're probably the Yankees that year. Um, Mark Pryor was really good. I mean, who else was on that? I mean, Kerry Wood, uh, uh, Derek Lee, uh, Aramis Ramirez. <laughs> yeah. uh, the team was good. I mean, that team was yeah, really good. Yeah, no, that was a good team. Um, Voices of Lou. So I think, and, and I'm probably going to edit this out because I'm, a, I'm an idiot and I can't remember things, but I think the 2008 Cubs, that was the last time that anyone asked me and I said, I think this is the best Cubs team of my lifetime. And that was the year that, and now looking back on it, it's just stupid because I think they got swept by the Dodgers or something. Or the Diamondbacks? I don't know. They got swept two years in a row. It doesn't matter. But like Giovanni Soto was their best player. And it's like, well, Jesus Christ, that just, I just, that's not the, how could that be the best Cubs team of my lifetime? Giovanni Soto is your best player. Um, but all right, so back back to the 2016 Cubs. Yeah, they're the best team in baseball. I think that's clear. I, I don't really think there's much of an argument to be made there. Um, Chris Bryant is probably, I don't know, he's the best player in the National League, uh, at least. Might be the best player in baseball. Um, they've got great pitching. Um, they're fun. I mean, I, I don't remember uh, watching Cubs games and having fun in a very long time. Um, I like to torture myself, but I like to torture myself within limits. Um, with that being said, I'm sure they're going to horribly disappoint me and uh, everything will go crashing down. As a Giants-Cardinals fan, I, I can't wait. I can't wait. I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm already looking forward to it. Well, they're play- I think they're playing right now, right? I think the Cubs are smoking on which doesn't, doesn't really matter. But no, uh, um, Anyways, I mean, it, it, it's a great team. It's a fun team. Um, it's been a fun summer. Uh it makes me harken back to the days of yore when I would watch all the Cubs games. I didn't have anything to do. Now I have a job and a wife and all that stuff. And I kind of wish I, I get wistful and I think about those days with Mark Bellhorn and, uh, I think about those days with Alex Gonzalez and, uh, <laughs> Salou and Giovanni Soto and, and those days when I had enough time to actually watch the games. Um, 
so yeah, I mean, look, I'm I'm interested on your perspective as a Cardinals fan, because um, Lord knows uh, I've been in this situation a lot before, <laughs> where it's, it's clear that the St. Louis Cardinals are the better team, and uh, I'm just bracing myself either for a long winter of well, very good Blackhawks hockey, or just watching the Cardinals celebrate, which. So so I'll say this, um, I'm annoyingly confident that we'll get the wild card. <laughs> That's like most Cardinals fan actually. Uh, I, I would describe I, most Cardinals fans as annoyingly confident. I think this team is fatally flawed. I don't think they have pitching. I don't think that they have a chance of winning the World Series this year. Um. And I'll also say that really when the Cubs and Cardinals have matched up, the Cubs tend to do pretty well. I, 2003, the, the regular season race was really close, and then the Cubs swept the Cardinals with like nine games left in the regular season, and that was when they locked up the, the NL Central. And then, of course, last year happened as well. So the Cubs do very well against the Cardinals. Um, I think the Cubs are going to blow it, so I'm going to enjoy that. No, they will. I mean, like, it, it's it's – Baseball is a weird game, and it's a horribly frustrating game because there's a 162-game season, and then you go to the playoffs and nothing means anything anymore. If if I had to make a bet, though, like if you gave me 50-50 odds that the Cubs are going to win a World Series in the next six years, I would probably, I'll be honest, I'd probably bet that they would. I mean, the infrastructure is really good. There's a bunch of good young players, a really good GM, a really good manager. Look, that's the difference between past iterations of the Cubs right there. You have Joe Madden, you don't have Dustin Baker. Um, he's not gonna, Joe Madden's not going to talk about how uh, Jake Arrieta wears tight pants. He's not going to. Uh, so I think this team is different. I think I have to acknowledge that they're different, but I don't think this is the year. Well, I mean, Dusty was a special individual. Um, loved jazz music and uh, – deflecting criticism by using his, his son as a human <laughs> shield, um, which I appreciate. It's a very uh, novel approach to, to, you know, making people not ask you hard questions. Um, when, you think, when you think of crossbreed of sports and jazz music, do you think first of Dusty Baker or James Dolan? Oh, Dusty Baker. Dusty Baker is like the old jazz musician grandpa on the Cosby show. <laughs> uh, but not as charming and, and ultimately you just get tired of him when you sit around the dinner table because he just keeps repeating the same thing over and over again Cosby Show and Charming these are fresh takes oh Jesus yeah, no, I, yeah I, I guess I didn't even think about that uh, America's father alright Bill Cosby was America's father it was <laughs> here's another question I have for you of course of course if you could change the structure of the baseball playoffs before the postseason started this year, what would you do to it? Because I guarantee you, without having stats in front of me, yep. the worst seed has won the World Series in baseball in the last 10 years more than any other professional sport. Yep. So what I, do you do? If I, would, uh, I would make the playoffs 162 games. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, seriously. Like, think, think about baseball. I mean, baseball is a game of numbers, right? It's a game of playing percentages. It's a game of, of, of very, very slim odds in your favor. So over the course of 162 games, those things play themselves out. It's like playing poker, right? Yeah, sure. You you don't get pocket aces every time. Um, 
But when you do, you have a really good shot of actually winning the hand. So Chris Bryant is not going to hit a home run every day. Um, maybe if you combine the two, Anthony Rizzo and Chris Bryant, maybe. But whatever. I mean, like, it, so, but over 162 games, like, uh, as Dusty Baker used to say, actually, water water seeks its own level, which I, I guess looking back on it was a very wise thing for him to say. But then you get in the playoffs and you've got these, what, five, you got a five, well, you've got a one-game series if you're in the wild card. That doesn't mean anything. That's basically flipping a coin. And then you've got a five-game series. Um, that's basically flipping a coin. And then you've got a couple seven-game series. And that's maybe less of flipping a coin, but still, it's like, I think wild card's great though. I, oh, it's it's great from a perspective that it's fun and it's it's exciting, but it helps the one seed. So if the Cardinals win the wild card, yep. and who who is in the who who does have the first wild card right now? I have no idea. Regardless who it is, it doesn't matter. It's our ace versus their ace. That's true. And then first game of the playoffs, we don't have we don't have an ace for that game now. So I think the wild card extra game actually gives the one seed a better advantage, which is a good thing. I think. Yes. I mean, I, I think it, I, Bill Simmons always does this and annoys the hell out of me where he talks about, you need to change the structure of what, uh, what you could uh, play. We need to have a eight game or a 18 tournament to determine the last seed of the NBA playoff. And, <laughs> like, like he, he just, he wants to, he, you know, he wants to just change a bunch of stuff because that's just the way he is. But at the same time, I mean, I, I do agree that I think the baseball playoffs are flawed. And I think the, when you actually had a true world series where it was like the NL pennant winner versus the AL pennant winner. And I, I realize I sound like some grandpa here and I will ask you to get off my lawn later, but, um, I mean, I just feel like that's a, that's a more adequate reward for having a good, like, six months rather than just, uh, well, let's go back to 2003, the Florida Marlins and Josh Beckett and all those guys winning the, winning the World Series. Like, uh, Was D-Train on that team? I can't remember. Who? Which D-Train. one? D-Train. Dontrell. Dontrell was. Dontrell won the Cy Young that year or the year before, I think. Um, he's probably washing cars somewhere now. Which, <laughs> Um, which is actually another great thing about baseball and that uh, you get those guys that just kind of come out of, not come out of nowhere. It's not like Dontrell Willis came out of nowhere, but it's like you had Dontrell Willis or Mark the Bird Fidrick or whoever else. It's like, or Fernando Valenzuela. It's the best, one of the best ones. Like these guys are kind of like one hit wonders, but, uh, I don't know. They enter your lives, they enter your lives for six months and you never forget them. And then you never hear from them again. And they become a punchline on a half rate two bit podcast. 40 years later. <laughs> for sakes. Um, <laughs> so I, thank you for asking what I would do. I would, uh, <laughs> Sorry. Uh, yeah. I, I would lessen the regular season to 154 games. I, nobody, right. nobody cares about the regular season and wild card fans do. But besides that, nobody cares about the regular season right now. Yeah. So lower the regular season, 154 games. I would leave the wild card set up exactly like it is, but make the first round seven games and the, you know, CS and ALCS nine games and the World Series at least nine games as well. Ooh. Who who is upset about having a nine game series? Uh I don't know. Joe Buck. I, I don't know. I, he seems to get, <laughs> he seems to, he seems to get upset about a lot, so I don't know. Maybe it's him. I, I have no idea. I mean I it's baseball, so nine game series would take 
nine days. I mean, throwing a doubleheader in there. Hey, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think that's a good idea. Because it's out. We need to get more <laughs> K-9 doubleheaders in the World Series. <laughs> I, think I, don't, so. I have no idea. I mean, I, I, I don't. And more baseball is always better. Um, and, yeah, the regular season just, just drag on. And it's just kind of a – it's a grind. But I don't know. It makes the sample size bigger. I just wish it meant more. Um, and I say that as a team that's I think currently has 97 wins on the pace for, you know, over 100. And it doesn't mean a damn thing <laughs> a couple of weeks was a playoff start. So – Fingers crossed. I'm not. I'm not opt. Well, I'm optimistic. I can't not be optimistic, but I'm not. I'm not going to be heartbroken if something were to happen and they get knocked out in the first round because if I flip a coin twice and I don't get heads twice, I'm not going to be heartbroken about that either. So, would you be pretty excited about a Red Sox Cubs World Series? Um. Well, you, you, yes. I mean, from the standpoint that people in my office have been asking that of me for the last like three months, um, I don't think I'd be able to go to a game simply because I'm too poor. Um, however, I, I would love, I would love to make Massholes feel bad about themselves. And uh, if the Cubs could do that, I would be very happy. As good as I'll admit that Theo Epstein is. I don't want it to be a Cubs-Red Sox World Series just because I don't want to hear ESPN talk about how amazing Theo Epstein is for turning two historically uh, drought-ridden franchises around. I don't want to hear that for two weeks. Are you looking for? Aren't you looking forward to the the, the Fox uh, World Series montages though, with like all the uh, old-timey black and white? No. I would much prefer Cleveland, Chicago. Do you have strong opinions on Theo Epstein? Or do you think he's just reasonably good at his job and he gets a lot of money? I just think he's good at his job. I mean, I, I don't think he's really doing anything. Well, I, I think he was a pioneer in some ways um, in terms of uh, kind of being that first group of GMs that really thought about the game in a different way. But with that being said, I just think he's good at his job. I mean, I, I, I don't think he's a baseball savant. I think he puts people in the right places to make the right decisions and, um, you know, invest solidly in his system and his, uh, the people around him and the players. And I, I just think he's good at his job. I mean, you could so, say the same thing about the, the Cardinals manager, right? So if the Cubs win a World Series eventually, would you want would you want Theo Epstein to be the general manager of the Chicago Bears? Um, <laughs> I, I, yes, uh, just simply because uh, why not? I mean, <laughs> that's like that's like asking me like, would you want a polar bear to be the GM of the Chicago Bears? And I'd probably be like. Yeah, sure. I'm, whatever, it's fine. Is, is a polar bear going to make Jay Cutler complete passes? Yeah, probably not. Is, is a polar bear going to beef up the offensive line so Jay Cutler doesn't spend his entire fall laying face down on the turf with some giant man dancing over top of him? Probably not. But I, mean, <laughs> um, I, I think I'd rather be a Bears fan than a Colts fan. I'll say that. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> I, I completely disagree with you, but uh, that's that's fine. I mean, I like our uniforms better, but that's about all I got. So, so our <laughs> coach and GM are, you know, part of the team. 
our coach and GM have shown incompetence multiple years in a row. And no, they are not going to lose their job. At least the Bears will fire a head coach now and then. So he can eventually go to Illinois and lose by 25 to a FBS team. But I, I don't... I don't know what it's going to take to – well, first of all, just from a human standpoint, how hard is it fire, to fire a guy that had cancer? I mean, you you, you got to feel terrible. I know. I, I, I'd sit down. I'd see, like, the, the chemo scar in his head where he had his brain opened up and be like, ah, yeah, he's just – we're good, man. <laughs> you keep doing what you're doing. I think we're in good shape. No, I, I think that uh, – if I was Andrew Luck, there's no way. There's no way I'd resign with that infrastructure. There's no way, and he already did. So I guess there you go. But well, he, I mean, Andrew Luck does love books and ping pong, and uh, you know, I mean, there's ample amounts of basements for him to both read books and play ping pong in Indianapolis. So oh, I'm sure he loves the uh, slow lifestyle that that Indianapolis brings. But <laughs> yeah, he's not exactly Broadway Joe Namath, is he? <laughs> no, he's not. I don't. I don't know. I don't know if Joe Namath would have like a. Uh, a book club on Twitter. <laughs> I think uh, I think Joe Namath using. I think it would be an adult magazine club. <laughs> uh, I, I don't think Joe Namath would use it for anything else. I, I just, I mean, look, he just wants to kiss you. What, what can I say? <laughs> what are, did Joe Namath ever solve his alcohol problem? Like, does he? Do you write a book about how he? Like he he went through the twelve step program and came out on the other end. Whatever happened with that? I just I, I feel like I feel like he was on Monday Night Football, told Susie Colbert he wanted to kiss her, and then and we all made fun of him for a while. He was just gone. I I think that's what happened. He just disappeared. <laughs> <laughs> He's probably still in rehab. Who knows? <laughs> poor poor bastard. I don't know that I blame him. I probably would stay out of the limelight. Even if he's completely recovered, what good of it is going to come? It's going to be like, he's going to be getting an interview by a guy who wants to be Chris Farley saying, so, uh, you, you remember the time, you remember the time that you told Susie Colbert that you really wanted to kiss her? <laughs> yeah, that was do awesome. You, do you really believe? Yeah, that was awesome. Do you really <laughs> believe that? Look, Susie, Susie Colbert. I don't know what she's doing now, but she was very kissable back in the day. I, I, don't, I don't I don't really have a problem. Uh, actually, you know, I was thinking about this the other day. Um, I was, uh, I don't know if I told you this. I've actually been, uh, I'm actually going to Oktoberfest in, uh, in Munich. Days. Did, did I tell you this? Yeah, 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 because we couldn't do the podcast next week. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, because yeah. I'll, I'll, be, I'll be shit-faced in Munich wearing leader of better and, podcast. Um, well, probably. I mean, we have a lot of special guests. Um, but uh, so I've been training for Oktoberfest. You know, I've been trying to really to, uh, you know, I, I'm really trying to embrace the mantra of, uh, you know, you play how you practice. And uh, so I've basically just been chugging beers from, I don't know, from really June on. Um, you know, you, you got you to be ready. Anyways, so I was drinking beers on the couch watching, uh, you know, watching some football and, uh I started thinking about sideline reporters as I as I typically do. Who's who's the best looking sideline reporter that we have right now? I still think it's Aaron Andrews. No no one thrown her off the, the the crown. No one thrown her off the top of the mountain yet. She's still on the throne. Uh, I'm gonna She's vote. Still got the champions belt. I'm gonna vote for Tony Saragusa. Uh... Your wife must be in the room. Can you just... <laughs> <laughs> sideline reporter. 
Um, I mean, look, Tony Saragusa Tony has his moments. I mean, he, he does he does bring such insightful commentary as, uh, guys, it's getting kind of cold down here. And, hey, guys, the wind is really picking up. Which, <laughs> from, you know, from it's really all you're asking about from your sideline reporter. I mean, he... he you want to know about the temperature and you want to know about the wind. That's pretty much it. Well, you want to know about second half adjustments, right? Three-star guys doesn't know much about those. So, um, okay, I'm, I'm kind of glad we got off this tangent. So, <laughs> all right. so, I'm, I'm glad you are. I don't understand the NFL's thought process on just announcers in general. So you hear about Tariko came over to NBC. Yep. And they were going to set him up on the Thursday night games that they that they um, televised. Yeah. And the NFL said, no, you promised us the same crew on Thursday nights that you would give us on Sunday nights. Yep. So basically they said, unless Tariq is doing Sunday nights, you're giving us Al Michaels on Thursday night and Sunday night. Al Michaels is great. Best, best in the business. Not going to dog Al Michaels. But – they wouldn't let Tariko do Thursday night, who is, I think, un- uncontroversially good. But yeah. Phil Sims still has a job. Like, where, where, where's the justice in the world where Mike Tariko can't do an NFL game and Phil Sims gets to do one every week? Look, it's a good point, and and you know, Mike Tariko, he's like Michael Jordan. He makes everyone about around him better, and he's like a womanizer, which. Uh, <laughs> Um, you know, it, it can't be understated. But no, it's a good I would have went with Magic Johnson, but... <laughs> well, 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 yeah. I mean, that, that's a probably a conversation for another time. Um, I just think that Jordan sometimes was a little hard on his teammates. That's all. No, no, I was actually uh, I was actually going to prepare a, a top ten list of uh, greatest athletes with HIV for this podcast, but uh, <laughs> um, I didn't want to use all my A material <laughs> right on the game. Uh, 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 NFL announcers, I mean, the NFL as a product is, at least in my mind, it's it's maddening in that you really have, you literally have 60, 60 minutes of action and it takes four hours to actually play out, right? So 75% of the time you're just sitting there and you're pounding beers probably. But that 75% of the time, the, some announcer actually has to fill in and tell you something. And the NFL is basically incapable of providing an announcer that, that is able to do that on a regular basis. Mike Trico would be one of them. Mike Trico is awesome. I, I've always liked him. Um, I mean, I'm a womanizer myself, so I identify with him. Um, I also like to make my teammates better. So, you know, I, I, I get it. But, I mean, he's, he's awesome. He, he's great. Um, and you roll Phil Sims out there every week. Who's the guy that's a tight end for the uh, Cowboys in the 90s? Was Daryl Johnson? No, not Daryl Johnson. Yeah, he's an announcer, right? Yeah. Who's Johnson, right? He's a, uh, right. obviously Troy Aikman. I mean, if I'm going to talk about Daryl Johnson, you can't leave out Troy Aikman. He was bad at his job. Um, <laughs> with the exception of Chris Collinsworth, pretty much every ex-player is on the lower tier of the announcers, and I and I can't figure. There's there's good ex-players. I mean, I I would I would think that I would think that. Who's the next player that would probably be better than all the players they have? Randy Moss? He, I, would love, I would love to see Randy Moss do color for a game. Can we do Randy Moss and Joe Buck as a combination? 
I, that, it's the original odd couple. I, I, <laughs> that would be amazing. I don't see how that doesn't work. I mean, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm salivating. I mean, I actually, and I think Joe Buck's got a lot better at his job. So I, I actually think that would be good. I'm not even going with the whole, oh, they hated each other. I think that would be good. Well, yeah. I mean, I would love to. I, I would hope that the first telecast they would do, they would just play replays of uh, Randy Moss uh, <laughs> his ass up against the goalpost, just to, <laughs> just to hear Joe Buck tell me how disgusting that is. Uh, I mean, uh, yeah. If I could sit both of them down at the same time, I would just show that on repeat and just get each other's opinions on it. Um, no, I like Randy Moss. I Randy Moss is a this is this is a this is a hot take. Like Alan Iverson, I, I think Randy Moss and there's a number of athletes I, I think are uh, we don't view them in the correct light. I think they're very articulate, very intelligent people that have had weird, weird lives that we can't relate with, and yeah. we end up bucketing them into some like weird group. But they're always interesting. They're always insightful, intelligent, and I always like when they. I don't hate Alan. I- I'm not trying to dog Alan Iverson. It's just I did not like his style of play. I'm 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 a team oriented basketball player, more Magic Johnson than Michael Jordan, and so like Iverson, whenever he talks, I'm like like you're a ball hog. I mean, it'd be like if Kobe was doing games. Like, yeah. Um, I mean, Alan Iverson. You, so you don't you don't like the uncontrolled drive to the basket, get fouled? No, ball, I hate that. I, ball I goes into the stands. Oh. That was, that was always my favorite play. Um, <laughs> no, nothing, nothing gets my heart pumping like a uh, like Alan Iverson driving into the lane, getting fouled, and the ball going into the stands. Alan fall- Iverson was the best player in like the worst era of basketball. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good way to look at it. Actually. I, I don't know what you can say about that. But... So there's a there's a book. I mean, maybe this is maybe this is a recurring podcast meme here. It's a Todd Oakham book club. But uh, uh, Jonathan Abrams, who I believe wrote for Grantland, and I don't know where he's writing now. He wrote a book on that era of the NBA, focusing on the draft. Okay. Which and I think it's called like Boys Among Men or something like that. Anyways, I got it on my Kindle. I haven't read it yet. Um, I am eagerly anticipating it. I'm trying to finish off Bill Walton's book first um, before I get to uh, the Jonathan Abrams book. With that being said, I, I, that era of basketball, I, I feel like needs to be explored more simply because it's endlessly fascinating. Um, I mean, anytime you can have Kwame Brown and uh, Curly and Young, Kwame Brown and uh, Kenny Martin in the same sentence in the same conversation, I think it's a good conversation to be having. Um, sure. But yeah, yeah, no, it's just a, you're, you're right. It's a horrible time, but it's fascinating. And I, for whatever reason, I enjoy it endlessly. This, this era of the NBA is so good. And it's, I wish we could have had this back then. Well, who's, who's your team nowadays? Well, I'm still a Pacers fan, but, uh, right. well, Robbie Hummel was, was signed by the Nuggets. I think he's going to be cut before the season starts, but that really helps me, uh, amp up on the Nuggets. But I mean, my favorite player to watch is LeBron James. I, I don't know how anybody's isn't LeBron James. He can do absolutely everything. Game six of the NBA Finals, that was the best game of basketball that I ever saw anyone play. I'm not saying that he was better than Jordan. I'm saying his game six was better than any game Jordan had. There's so many good Jordan games that have gone down into to legendary status. I mean, 
the flu game, the last game he played with the Bulls. I mean, there's so many good games. But I think you're right. I mean, I mean, he was a force of nature, and which is a horribly cliched statement to make, but he was. I mean, he literally did everything. So as good as Jordan was, you never really expected him to have a triple-double in a game. And not like a triple-double as some magic marker of this is a great player, or this is the best player of all time. But he's just... He didn't involve his teammates like LeBron did, and I'm not. I'm not even going to say that that makes him LeBron a better player. I, I'm not saying that. I'm just. To me, it's more fun to watch that when the ball is going around, and you don't know. Okay, I know what's going to happen. Jordan's yep. going to go baseline. He's going to go around the backboard, and he's going to beat his man on the other side. You don't know what's going to happen with LeBron. You don't know who he's going to hit for an open pass. And and that's just more interesting to me. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Like 1992 Jordan, you knew he was just going to get the ball and like just go over top of somebody or pull up for a jumper and I'll make it, right? Yeah. Uh, LeBron's going to, you know, he might drive, he might dish, he might, uh, I don't know, he might shoot a three. Uh, but yeah, yeah. I still remember actually our, our friend Jonathan – in 2003, when he was going to go number one, he told me he didn't think he was going to be any good. <laughs> he's like, and I was like, why Why do you think he's not going to be any good? And he, he didn't really have a good answer. He's just like, I just think he's overrated. Like, it doesn't matter if he's overrated. Like, they're saying he's going to be the best player ever. So even if he's overrated and he's not the best player ever, he uh, top ten. Like, <laughs> what, what, what's, like, the median for this guy, right? Um, <laughs> anyways, um but no, he plays a brand of basketball, a style of basketball that, um, uh, yeah, Jordan never did. Certainly Kobe never did. Um, quite frankly, I don't know if they're capable of. And uh, he definitely showed that in that, uh, game six. Um, it was a good series. I don't. I mean, there's no denying that. It, it certainly did seem like... No one denies this! <laughs> Do you think that we're going to get sued by Bill Simmons? I mean, have we ripped off his, his takes enough? Hey, well, here's. I thought oh, we were gonna man. pick. I, I could go all night. I got two things. I got two things. I really need to wrap this up. All right. Thing number one. So you recommended a book. Have you ever read Popular Crime by Bill James? It's on my list. And no, I. So, uh, all right. That I didn't answer your question. I'm sorry. No. It's it, on is, it is one of the most enthralling, uh, macabre. It is amazing. It I, I loved it. He's got a he's got a theory on JFK that, that I guess has been out there but I never heard before. Um it it's great. He's got some fresh takes. So so yeah, help help me understand this because Bill James, I mean I, I one of my favorite books of all time is the uh the historical baseball uh abstract. Right? Uh sure. it's like a big green book that you always used to find at borders. No one would ever buy it because it's like thirty five dollars and no one knew what to do with it. Anyways. Um, all of a sudden he's, he becomes like a true crime expert, or I guess he always was. Yes, he always was. He, he always was. So he always loved two things, baseball and crime. And, and he, he goes through and he kind of justifies it. And it's pretty interesting. Like he justifies it in the beginning of the book. Um, like, well, people want to say that, you know, crime cases aren't really that important. They're kind of just, um, I guess like a soap opera or something like that. They're, they're they fill people with intrigue, but what happens really doesn't matter. And he and he takes the exact opposite take on that. 
So there was a, a murder in Connecticut in the 1800s, and the person who uh, almost no doubt committed the murder was on trial. He was rich. So he, he paid his bail money, and then he skipped state to a different state. And at that time, states could not extradite criminals to other states. So he was home free. He just, as long as he didn't go back to Connecticut, he never had to pay any time for the crime. And newspapers picked this up, and they made a big story out of that, and that pushed, and that pushed the uh, governments to change the laws where states could extradite to other states if somebody skipped on their bail. And same thing with with O.J. Simpson. The trial happened; it was a big media storm, whatever. But people learned a lot about forensics and learned a lot about DNA because of the O.J. Simpson trial. So these pop cultural phenomenas that are um, uh, seemingly unimportant do have long-lasting consequences. That's his whole thing about popular crime, and uh, he's really into it, so he, he wrote a book about it. Interesting. No, he's, he's an interesting guy. I mean, Ken Burns likes two things. He likes jazz and war, and I guess, I guess uh, Bill James likes baseball and crime, so that, that's good. Hey, Ken I've, Burns likes baseball. Oh, that's right. It's jazz, baseball, and war. There we go. That's, that's, probably, that's probably all he's into. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've always liked Bill James. Um, is he still working baseball? Is he like a dude I, I, still? I think he is still an advisor to the Red Sox. I, oh, I, I don't... I mean, in, in reality, all he did was... I say that terrible. Like, I've ever done anything as important. But... All he did was bring a modern statistical thinking to the sport. It's not like he's better with statistics than a random graduate from MIT or Harvard or anything like that. He he just brought that thinking into baseball. So I don't think like he's old now. I don't think it's necessarily he needs to be involved with the team. Like he brings some insight that somebody else can't bring. But but that said, yeah. I mean that that's ultimately probably even more difficult than like being good at statistics, right? Like, I mean, being able to put it into the popular culture and being able to make people relate to it and understand it, um, and doing something that you think nobody else cares about, like writing an abstract every year, our prospectus every year that you think nobody's looking at, nobody really cares about. You're just doing it, I, I guess, out of enjoyment, and I'm sure he wanted it to become uh, circulated, but. Yeah. That, yeah, doing something like that, when these people graduate from MIT or Harvard, they're going to go get a well-paying job. He was getting paid nothing to do this. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, the only person that cared about it was probably me. Um, you know, 16-year-old Todd in Indiana wanted to read about uh, cool Papa Bell stealing bases back in the 30s. <laughs> 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 but, uh, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I appreciate what he's done. And I, I have wanted to read that book. I need to get to it. Um Will that become? Be, will, that, will that come in before or after Jonathan Abrams' book? But it definitely have to come after Bill Walton's book, which is a whole. Oh God, that's a that's a whole another topic for another, for another time. Um, all right, all right, let's let's wrap this up. Uh, I'll I'll figure out how to edit it and uh, get it okay. into a package, and maybe Sweet. even set up like an email address so that people, you know, because this is going to be very popular, just like just like the baseball prospectus. Um, I'm not going to tell anybody about this out of just shame and and 
No, I'll, I'll probably tell. No, I won't even tell my wife. Look, uh, I'm, I'm jobless. I'm going to advertise this to nobody. <laughs> I want to be saying at the end of these pod, at, the, at the, during the middle of these podcasts, I want to do a uh, a read for Casper mattress. That's right, Casper mattress. Casper, um, Casper, Casper mattress, everybody. Yeah, uh, that's for the Blue Apron. Yeah. I, I blue love Apron, the, everybody. <laughs> Let the, let the revenue come streaming in here, folks. Exactly. I, I don't see how this doesn't become a huge thing. And then, and then, I mean, the ultimate goal, ultimate goal is, so I've told you before that I had a high school teammate in soccer that coaches Bill Simmons' daughter. So I'm going to share it. Jake is going to share, share it on his Facebook feed. Bill Simmons is going to is going to listen to it because Jake shared it. And then he's going to do either one of two things. He's going to sign us. Or he's going to sue us, and either one of those is a great story. Absolutely, there's no such thing as bad publicity. Um, we've we've seen that in this upcoming election season. So unless you're Gawker. Well, all right, good point. <laughs> all right, all right, we gotta go. <laughs> gotta go. I'll probably cut out the last ten minutes. All right, uh, Todd, thanks for time. We'll set it up again sometime. See you, man. Absolutely. Take care, man. Bye. Bye.